We're going to be in 2 Peter in chapter 3 today. Second Peter in chapter number three, starting a new sermon series today uh, called Healthy Christians, and uh, it's going to be all about spiritual health. I'm not going to preach to you about physical exercise and physical diets and things like that, um, because you have to practice what you preach, and so uh, I'll wait till I get more motivated to do those sermons, but today we're going to start our series on healthy Christians looking at the spiritual food pyramid. Uh, if you remember in school, uh, you, yeah, if you, well, all of us are old enough to remember this, the food pyramid. I think it's changed a little bit since I had to learn it. But, uh, and they gave you, you know, the stuff at the bottom, the wider base is the most important, and then it, and it pyramids up uh, to, you know, uh, whatever was, I don't even remember what foods were, in the food pyramid, uh, uh, but nonetheless, we're going to look at the spiritual ways before. Um, over dinner, a mother once explained to uh, her children the health benefits of a colorful meal, saying the more colors, the more variety of nutrients, the mother said, pointing to the food on the table. Uh, then he says, uh, uh, she asked the question, how many different colors do you see on your plate? And one of the children said six, but seven if you count the burnt parts. So there you go, colorful foods for you today. Uh, so we're going to be looking at, at uh, spiritual health over the next several weeks. I'm excited about the, uh, the planned things. We're looking at spiritual exercises. We're going to be looking at um, spiritual diets, uh, different things as well. So I'm looking forward to the next several weeks. Uh, um, in two weeks, I'll actually be gone. Uh, but uh, we'll finish it up uh, towards the end of May, last week of May, nonetheless. Uh, but today we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, look in verse 17, the last two verses of the chapter. The Bible says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But... Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And really, just that thought in verse 18 of the importance of us growing. Growing in grace and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. In order for us to grow, we have to grow healthily, if that's even a word. We have to have healthy growth. Um, as a Christian, we should never be stale. We should never be content at least with where we are spiritually there should always be a desire to grow more because we would all agree that there is a little bit of room for us to grow in our spiritual lives i am that way as i assume you are if you're not you need to be uh, in the same situation there is room for growth for me spiritually and uh, in order for me to be a healthy christian i need to have the correct and spiritual growth uh, that is there as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. And today specifically, we're going to look at three things. I know there's more things in the real food pyramid, but three things that we need to build, starting with the most important and then working our way up from there. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we look at these three thoughts and, 
They're probably not going to be new thoughts, but Lord, I pray that you would help them to be fresh in our minds and in our hearts, and God, that we would truly be growing in grace and in knowledge of you. Lord, draw us close, Lord, and clean our hearts, cleanse our lives, and make us healthy as you desire for us to be. Help me to present these thoughts clearly and correctly, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Here we see uh, three things to build your pyramid. I had planned on giving you props today, and then I just never got around to it. So sorry, you're going to have to imagine in your mind a pyramid, okay? Um, And so the bottom of the pyramid, the widest foundation, the most important thing that we have to have to be a healthy Christian is the right relationship with God. It really is that simple. You say, well, that's pretty cliche. Yes, it is. There's a reason it's cliche. It's because it's important. It's because it's been around for a long time. It's because it's true. The thought, the importance of, in order for us to be a healthy Christian, we have to be right in our relationship with God. Now, our relationship starts where? It starts at salvation. That's where our relationship with God begins. That's when he adopts us into his family. That's when he becomes our father, as well as our God, as well as our Savior, as well as our Creator. He is our Father. And this is a relationship now that that is, is on God's end perfect, but on our end we oftentimes fail. And our end we oftentimes uh, um, hurt the relationship with God, and our relationship is not right with God. Yes, we are saved. Yes, we are His child. But we've done something to kind of stray away from uh, Him and to hurt the relationship with Him. All relationships take work. Every single one of them we talk about. Marriage relationships, it, it's, not, it's not easy. Um, there's a reason why, what I think now the number is 50%, at least if not higher, that marriages that end in divorce. It's because it takes work. Friend relationships take work. If you're like me, you have friends growing up that you haven't talked to in a very, very, very long time. Now, if you saw each other again, you'd get along fine. I'm sure the conversation would go smoothly. But that relationship hadn't been worked on in a while, so it's just not the same as it was back in the day. I have friends from college that I haven't talked to since college. I have friends uh, from childhood that I don't even know where they are today, and which is strange when you think about the world of social media. You seem to be able to stalk most of your old friends, but uh, I still have friends that I don't even know where they are today, what they're doing, or if they're married, if they have kids, any of those things. Because relationships take work. And so God, again, his relationship with us has never faltered. He's always there for us. He's always near. He's always ready and able. But oftentimes on our end, the relationship has been messed up. So how can we have the right relationship with God? All of these are very simple, very easy. You've heard them before. I'm going to give them to you again. Number one, we need to talk to them. We need to talk to God. It really is simple, right? Talk to God. How many days a week do you talk to God? And I ask that, and I'm not asking how many days a week do you pray for your meal, because even a prayer for our meal sometimes is an empty prayer. How many times a week do you truly talk to God? I've found uh, the more you drive, the more you talk to God. Uh, the more you just, you're in a car by yourself, and even if you've got the radio on or something else happening, you tend to all of a sudden realize that you're alone 
and uh, you tend to talk to God. Um, if you are in a frustrating job situation, you tend to talk to God a fair amount. Um, usually mumbling under your breath, thinking it in your mind, God, help me not to hurt these people. Um, if you're going through trials, you tend to talk to God. When things are good is oftentimes when we don't talk to God. And that hurts our relationship with God. It is important that we talk with him regular. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. The word ceasing means without stopping. Wait a second, I'm supposed to pray to God all the time? Yes, you're supposed to be living a life that is in constant prayer with God. When is God unavailable to you? The answer is never. When are you unavailable to God? Sadly, many times, if you're the average person, it's a lot. Or God's trying to speak, or God's trying to, to uh, help you, and you're sitting there shutting him out. If you're constantly talking with God, if you're in a constant state of prayer, it doesn't mean your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, right? It just means the, the, the lines are open on your end, or you're having these thoughts where you're meditating on God and where you're talking to God throughout the day. Do you struggle with words that you shouldn't say? I know we're not kids today, but do you struggle sometimes with saying things that you know you shouldn't say, whether it be with the wrong attitude or just words that are ungodly? Well, I can tell you this, if you're praying to God, you're going to have a hard time saying those words. Um, you know, I, I know for me, um, entertainment, TV, movies affected my speech, where if I was watching something that had a lot of swear words in it, I still wouldn't say them in public, but when I was by myself, I would tend to, to mutter them or to think them or whatever it was. Very influential in my life. And, uh, you know, I was, I was doing a project once with Pastor Fulcher in Indiana uh, that came and spoke for us last year. We were building a, uh, a, a little apartment inside of a garage to house missionaries at the church that we were at there in Indiana. And, uh, and we, worked, uh, we worked many, many hours on that. Every now and then someone else would come help out. But we were cutting stuff, hammering stuff, uh, drilling stuff, all kinds of different things and tools. And I remember towards the end, he said something to me, and I said, well, at least you, I didn't cuss. And he said, yeah, you did. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he told me a word that I said. I don't remember saying it. I'd still argue I didn't say it. But uh, nonetheless, because I can't lose, right? But uh, nonetheless, there are times where, where we say things. But you know what? If our mind is in a conversation with God, if we are open and talking with God, it's going to be hard to think bad things as well as say bad things as well as act in a wrong way because we are in that conversation with God. There are things that as a kid you would say behind your parents' back, but you would never say it in a conversation with your parents. And now I had the mistake, I won't tell you what it is I said, but I had a mistake of, of using a phrase and uh, with friends, and then my mom said something to me once, and I used the phrase on her, and I'm very lucky I survived to, to, to speak to you today because of using these things. They're just things that you don't want to say, right? to your parents. The same is true with God. If we are talking with him, it's going to help us with the things that we're thinking, with the things that we're saying, because our relationship with him is better than it was when we were not talking to him. Not only do we talk to God, number two, we need to listen to God. Speaking of our relationship with God, we have to talk with him. We also have to listen. God is going to speak to us. Yes, we talk to God in prayer, but God talks to us as well. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. 
be still, be quiet, be restful, be relaxing on what God is. But in part of that is in being still, you can hear God speak. In our running around, in our, the chaos of our minds, it's hard to hear what God is saying to us. As God has, has said is in the Bible, speaks to us in a still, small voice sometimes. You're not going to be able to hear the still, small voice if you're loud. And so the importance of, you know, uh, again, you're talking about kids, and you're trying to talk to kids, and they're talking at the same time, and you're saying, would you be quiet so you can hear what I'm trying to tell you? You're telling them to do something, and they're asking you what you want them to do in the midst of you telling them what you want them to do, and you're saying, would you just be quiet? I am telling you. And oftentimes, I, I just imagine God up there going, would you please be quiet? I'm trying to answer you. I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to help you. Would you just calm down a little bit? Our relationship with God involves talking. It involves listening. It involves getting sin taken care of. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A relationship with God has to have a clean heart. In order for us to have the right relationship with God, our heart must be clean. How do we get our heart clean? We go to God and, and confess our sins to him so that he can forgive them. It's a repentance. It's a turning from sin. It's a, it's a seeking God's help with sin. It's all involved in getting sin taken care of. You have sin in your life. And listen, it, I find it interesting because I feel like oftentimes we sit here and we hold on to sin because of our shame. And even going to God... And saying, God, I sinned and I need forgiveness. We're still ashamed of the sin, so instead we kind of hold on to it. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden hiding from God? You can't hide from God. Adam and Eve, because of their shame, instead of coming to God and saying, God, we're sorry, God, forgive us, God, help us, they hid from God. And we do the same thing. We commit a sin. We've got sin in our life, and instead of saying, God, this was wrong, God, I know it's wrong, God, forgive me, God, help me, give me the strength to have victory over it, Instead, we go hide in the bushes. That doesn't get sin taken care of. And if you remember in the Garden of Eden, after the sin, uh, Adam and Eve made clothes out of um, leaves and, and different things like that, and God gave them a new clothing. Uh, uh, he made them better clothes, a better covering. God gives us a covering that we cannot provide for ourselves. But it only happens when we finally get sin taken care of. You want a right relationship with God? The most important piece to having a healthy Christian life? Well, you've got to talk to God. You've got to listen to God. You've got to get sin taken care of. You've got to be where God wants you to be. Uh, we talk about church and the importance of it. You know, the Bible talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in Hebrews. Church really is a vital part of a healthy Christian. You'll meet people who are Christians, who are saved, and haven't been in church in years, and you'll ask them why, and they'll tell you, and it usually has something to do with somebody in the church. They did this, they did that, the pastor said this, the pastor did this, they're all hypocrites, whatever it may be. All these different excuses for why they're not in church today. Church is a vital part of a healthy Christian. It's a place where we come for multiple things. We come to worship God. We come to learn about God. We come to draw closer to God. We come for godly fellowship. All of these things are important, and you get them all at church. Now, yes, there are Sundays where the pastor throws out a dud sermon. You don't get much from it. But even if the pastor throws out a dud sermon, you still get some fellowship. Fellowship with people who aren't the 
godless people. I don't know about your coworkers, but some of my coworkers talk about things I'd rather not hear. Uh, <laughs> some of the things that I hear on the radio are things that I'd rather not hear. Some of the things that are out there and around and in conversation are things that are not going to edify me. They're not going to build me up. They're not going to encourage me in God. Yet when I come to church, I talk with people, I speak with people who have similar thoughts as I do, who have the same beliefs as I do, who together we can encourage one another in the things of God. Church is crucial. It's important. It helps us, and it helps us to be healthy as a Christian. We also need to study our Bible on our own time, not just at church, but on our own. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you want to have a healthy Christian life, a healthy spiritual life, you have to read the Bible on your own so that you can divide it for yourself so that when someone says something that is not true, you know it's not true because you've studied it for yourself. It's important. It's crucial. So we don't stand before God ashamed of our lack of knowledge. As we read in first, uh, for a second Peter, grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord. Well, you're only going to grow if you read, if you study God's word on your own. Acts 17, 11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They looked for themselves. They studied for themselves. Is this truth? They didn't just take someone's word for it. And as I've said a million times, I hope that you trust me as your pastor to present to you truth but you need to know God's word so that you know if I say something that's wrong and you know what is right according to Scripture. You should not be in a situation if you've been saved, especially if you've been saved for a while. You should never be in the situation where someone says something that they claim to be Bible truth that is not Bible truth and you don't, you don't grasp it. Or you're just going, well, they said it, so I guess it's true. Well, I've never heard that before. I guess it's true. Listen, any public speaker can, can make you think it's true by how they say it. You need to know it's true because of Scripture, because you've studied the Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Prove, test, try all things, and keep that which is right and which is good. And then, lastly, in our relationship with God, we need to trust God. We need to trust God. You know, you cannot have a good relationship with someone who you don't trust. I've talked with dating couples and, you know, and there's just this little bit of hindrance and one of the things that's holding up the relationship is, I just don't know that I can trust him or trust her. Listen, you've got to get it out of that one right away. <laughs> if you don't trust someone, you can't be in a relationship with them. And we've got God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, who is our, uh, who, who is our father. Do you trust him? Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understandings. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Do you trust the Lord with all your heart? Do you lean on him instead of your own understanding? I, I promise you, God will tell you to do things that you'll say, God, I don't understand why. <laughs> God's going to tell you to do things, and you're going to go, I don't get it. Why would I do that? Do you trust God? Listen, 
you think about, look, just look at Scripture. Again, if you read your Bible, you'll see all these things in Scripture. Think about the things that, that God told people throughout Scripture. Hey, Noah, build a boat. There's going to be a flood. It's going to cover the whole earth. And uh, I'm going to put two of every animal in the boat with you. Build it to these dimensions. Build it with these products. Get to work. We don't read of anywhere where Noah goes, why? It's not to say he didn't. We don't read anywhere where Noah goes, why? What if Noah didn't like animals? I know, gasp. Uh, what, what, what if Noah goes, but I don't like cats. I don't like snakes. I don't like, name any animal that you don't like. I don't care which one it is. What if Noah goes, I don't really want to do that. What if Noah said, but God, I think it would be better if we used this kind of wood. God, I think it would be better if we did it this size, whatever it may be. Or what if he just said, I don't get it, Lord. We've not had a flood before. I don't know what a flood is. What is this word you're speaking of? Uh, you know, all these different things. But Noah trusted God, and by faith, he built the ark. And by faith, he survived the flood along with his family. Why? Because he trusted God. What is it that God tells you to do that you've not trusted him on? We're coming up on missions month in July. And I'm going to ask you that you pray and ask God what he would have you to give uh, for the cause of worldwide missions over the next 12 months. And God just might tell you a number that you're going to go, but God... I don't think you understand. He does. If you ask God and he answers, you have to trust him with that answer. The first time me and my wife did faith promise giving, which is what our missions giving is, we prayed about it. I think we gave $10 a month. I was embarrassed by that. I, for whatever reason... I just thought if anybody knew all we were giving was $10 a month for missions, how embarrassing would that be? But you know what? It's something we prayed about. And what happened was, is God provided for us $10 a month to give the missions. And then the next year we prayed about it again, and God gave us a different number, and we gave that amount. And every year we do the same thing. Me and my wife, we pray separately first about it, and then we'll pray together, and we will have a decision on what we're going to give every month over the next 12 months for missions. No one holds us accountable to that except for God. Not in recent years, but uh, in the past, there were times where we came to the end of the month and, and you know, hey, you know, we haven't given our missions giving yet for the month. And, uh, you know, it's a little tight. <laughs> if we give it, uh, you know, hopefully maybe they won't cash it. Uh, for a couple weeks, maybe they'll forget to deposit the checks or something like that, and then we'll be okay. But you know what? God's always taken care of and provided, and we just trust him. And now, no matter what, every month, one of our tithe checks includes our missions giving. And it is what it is. And, and every year that God gives us to it, we raise it every year. Um, we started at 10, and, and, and every year since then, we've been married for 15 years, we've raised it every year. And, and there have been times, you know, when we were in Indiana, my salary in Indiana was, was pretty solid. I got paid really 
And so it wasn't that big of a deal, right? It was, oh, this is nice. This is helpful. This is good. This is whatever. Then we moved here and, and at first didn't have an income or then had a very un, unbalanced income because I was working sales and it was all commissions and, and so you never know what you were going to make that month. And there were times where he's going, man, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but you know what? You told us to give and you told us to give this amount and we're going to do it and we're going to trust you. And guess what? He always provided, not just for missions giving, but for all the other needs that we had too. And it's, it's, you have to trust God with what he tells you to do. If he tells you to do it, he's going to give you what you need to accomplish it. So you just trust him. You want a right relationship with God, you have to trust God. Um, Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. As kids uh, growing up in church, I feel like we're taught to fear God, that he's scary. And to some extent that is true, but we have to see God for what he is. He's loving, he's caring, he's providing. It's a trust that I must now give to him so that I can have the right relationship with him. A relationship with God, that's the base of our spiritual food pyramid. Number two, the middle section is our relationship with family. God ordained the family. And he did it before he made the church. Our relationship with God is important. It is, number one, it is the priority. But right after that is our family relationship. God established the home, and he established it a certain way so that it can be successful, so that it can work. And yes, we can look all throughout uh, history and see the, the home crumble in different ways and for different reasons. But family is our most important responsibility that God has given to us. So I want us to see a couple things with that. Would you turn with me to Ephesians 5? Men, we were here this morning in Sunday school uh, as Adam taught, and some of it will be the same and some of it will be different, but Ephesians chapter 5, I want us to see the home here. Look in verse 21. Submitting yourselves, husband and wife, one to another in the fear of God. We are to submit to each other as a husband and wife under the authority of God, in the fear of God, in the reverence of God, in the obedience of what God has given to us. We together submit to each other, not just one to the other, not that there's one above the other, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but to each other, together, submitting to what God has told us to do in obedience to what God has established for our home. It starts with wives in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be uh, to their own husbands in everything. Wives, there's important things here. If you want the right relationship with your family, it starts here. Number one, you need to understand this is talking about you to your own husband. It's not women to men. It's wives to their own husbands. My wife doesn't have to listen to any of you men. She doesn't have to be subjected to any of you men. She doesn't have to be submissive to any of you men. She is but according to scripture to be submissive to me her own husband 
And we have watched over um, thousands of years of men standing up and saying, we're the boss. We're the boss. You're less than us. You mean little. You're only here for one purpose. Those sorts of things, and none of that is true according to Scripture. But wives are to be subject to their own husbands. And it says in verse 22, as unto the Lord, in obedience to God. You're not submissive to your husband because he's awesome. You're submissive to your husband because that's what God's told you to do. And are you going to trust God with the role that he's given you? Uh, verse 22 says to submit. Verse 33 says to reverence. The end of verse 33 of chapter 5. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. This isn't worship. This isn't um, uh, um, fake. This isn't uh, um, lifting up because, again, because of him. It's because of what God has done. And it's because of what God has established. And we as men like these verses because we go, yeah, wife submit yeah wife reverence yeah wife listen i'm the leader okay men are you because husbands you have a role as well it is to lead verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church all right so our example is christ verse 25 husbands love your wife even as christ also loved the church we get stuck with the husband is the head of the home, the head of the wife. We fail to remember that we are the head of the wife the same way that Christ is the head of the church. How does Christ lead the church? By love, by sacrifice, by compassion, by forgiveness, by patience, by calmness. Christ in his life and Christ in his example has never been this power-hungry, authoritative dictator. Although he's all-powerful. Although he's all-knowing. Men, we think we're all-knowing. You're not. We are the head of the home, but we are to, to lead the home the way Christ leads the church, in the same temperament that Christ leads the church. We have an important role that's given to us as men. Verse 25, we're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 28, we're told to love our wives as our own bodies, as we love ourselves. In verse 33, we're told to love our wives even as ourselves. I love me. It's true. Maybe I don't love me as much as I used to, but I still love me. And one of the examples God gives is to love your wife as you love yourself. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to provide for yourself. You're going to make sure you have everything that you need. Don't love your wife the same way. You're going to forgive yourself, forgive your wife. You're going to be patient with yourself, be patient with your wife. Not only are we supposed to lead the home and love our wives, but we're also supposed to leave. Look at verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
if you are married, your responsibility is right there in your own home. Your priority should be your wife and your children over your parents, over your cousins, over your uh, crazy uncle, over any of those people. Your number one priority is now your home. We are to leave father and mother and cleave to our wives and become one flesh. It's now us versus the world. And I say that, uh, to, uh, please understand what I mean by that. Um, it, it, I, I am now tied to, I am now uh, a part of this flesh with my wife. And together, it is us. And nothing can come between us. We are tied together, we are entwined, intertwined together now, and we cannot let anything come between us. Uh, I, I love my family, I love my parents, I love my in-laws. I'm not going to say anything mean about my in-laws today. We're going to go visit them in a couple of weeks. They live in Florida, so we love them more than we used to when they lived in Michigan. You know, it, it, and the, the longer you're married, maybe it changes. I think it has for us. You know, when you're first married, there's, you're making decisions, life decisions, and um, the parents or the in-laws are kind of going, well, are you sure that's the best thing to do? And listen, it's, it's out of love. And, and it's out of them hoping that we succeed. But many couples have this struggle because one or both are still hanging on to their parents and their advice and their opinions more so than their spouses. It's not to say that we ignore parents' advice because our parents love us and they desire for us again to succeed. But now your first call is to your spouse. Your first conversation, your first advice is from your spouse. What do you think we should do? How do you think we should do it? It's important, gentlemen, that we lead our homes and that we love our homes, but in order to do this, we have to leave our previous home and become now this home and establish it as God desires for it to be. Then we've got uh, uh, children. Chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Children have a role in the home. It's to be obedient. And parent, listen, it's your job to make sure they're obedient. If they're not obedient, you've got to make them obedient. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's on you as a parent. To do so and it should be a team effort you shouldn't have one parent who's the disciplinarian and one parent who's the the, the nice parent <laughs> that's how the kids will view it together you need now listen i know people and, and you can argue with me if you want these are some just opinions i know some people who say okay the the husband disciplines and i think a husband should discipline uh the the dad i'm not saying the husband should discipline the wife the dad to discipline the children. I believe that the dad should have a role in disciplining the child, but I don't think that means the mother should never discipline the child. You're both the authority. So I have this joke that I've done for a long time in my house. It's, I mean, I say it's a joke, but I guess it isn't. But I say, I'm the boss, right? So what I say goes, and, and I say it lightheartedly. Well, what happens when my wife tells my son to do something, and my son goes, well, dad's the boss, so I'm going to ask him. We used to have three sons. No. Um, 
<laughs> it's a problem. It's a problem that hasn't been dealt with the right way. Even in joking ways, we have to be aware of what our kids are learning. And when I hear that my son tells my wife, I don't have to do that because dad didn't say it and dad's the boss. Guess what? There's, a, there's, there's an issue and it's going to get taken care of as soon as I hear about it, as soon as I get home. Now listen, my wife, she'll discipline our children. She doesn't have a problem with that. But when it's only one parent doing the disciplining, it's an unbalanced partnership. And although I personally think the dad should discipline more than the mom, and that's just a purely personal opinion, okay? It's not Bible. It's purely personal opinion. It's important that both parents have a, have a part in disciplining because part of disciplining or disciplining is part of raising a child. It's part of showing them that you love them and you want them to do right. In order for them to do right, they have to be disciplined for their wrongdoing. That's what God does to us. And God is our example. And so it's what we do as well. Um, in November, we're going to have a parenting seminar. We've got someone coming in. He's going to teach. It'll be on a Friday night. It's going to be great. So come back for that. Uh, parents, verse 4, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Uh, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not just discipline, 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 discipline. It's nurturing. It's time spent. It's showing love. It's doing things. It's investing into your children. It's not just the, I'm the stern dad that, that's going to put my foot down on everything. I'm going to say no all the time. It's like that teacher who says no person's going to get an A in my class. Well, may you be fired. Um, don't be that kind of parent. Well, I'm tough love. Good for you. That's fine. Make sure you're nurturing your children also. There's a lot more to parenting than, uh, than just discipline and, and being harsh and making sure they don't make the same mistakes you made. They won't make the same mistakes you made if you nurture them, if you admonish them, if you teach them, if you train them what is right. Then lastly on our pyramid, the bottom of the pyramid, the most important, the foundation is our relationship with God. Then second is our relationship with family then thirdly is our relationship with others. Where are we going with this? I'll give you a big old hint on each side of the walls here. Matthew 22, 39, love your neighbor and love them as yourself. We see we have to have, uh, to be an, a healthy Christian, we have to have the right relationship with God, we have to have the right relationship in our homes, and we have to have the right relationships outside of our homes with those around us and truly showing them the love that God shows us and passing that on to those around us, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We've spent many sermons on that. You can go back and listen to them if you, if you weren't here for them. They're available online. Our relationship with others are important too. Listen, you can't have the right relationship with God if you don't have the right relationship with others. And you can't have the right relationship with others if you don't have the right relationship with God. I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? But it's true. You want to be the right kind of husband? Well, you've got to have the right relationship with God. You want to be the right kind of employee? Well, you've got to have the right relationship with God. You want to be the right kind of friend? Well, you've got to have the right relationship with God. It starts there. That's the foundation, and then it goes up from there as well. Make sure your relationship with others is uh, a picture of your relationship with God and the relationship in your home. 
Sometimes we sacrifice our home for a relationship with other people. That is not God's desire. Your home comes first. It's, it's before your neighbors. Because what's the point of loving my neighbor if I'm not going to love my spouse? If I'm not going to love my children? If I'm not going to love my parents? You see, we have to understand how it builds, and it starts with a relationship with God. It goes then to a relationship in my home, and it ends with a relationship with everybody else. You heard the acrostic for the word joy, Jesus, others, and you. Well, listen, this is all about you. You being a healthy Christian. You can't be a healthy Christian without first loving God the way you're supposed to. You can't be a healthy Christian if your home is in turmoil. You can't be a healthy Christian if you treat other people unbiblically. Jesus first, your home second, and then everybody else after. If you will live according to that um, diagram, I promise you can live a spiritually healthy life. Because God will help you do it. And if you have a right relationship with God, he'll help you have a right relationship in your home. And he'll help you have a right relationship with other people as well. So there it is, the spiritual food pyramid uh, for you today. Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for your word and what we can learn from it. And God, I pray that you'd help us. I, God, I pray that you'd give us a desire to be spiritually healthy. God, that we would truly desire to live and walk as you want us to. And God, I pray that you'd help us to uh, build and grow these relationships, starting with our relationship with you. God, that we would be what you want us to be, your child. Lord, that we would be your people and you would be our God. God, I pray that you'd help us in our homes. God, I pray that you'd strengthen our marriages. Lord, that you would help the husbands, uh, that, we would, that we would fill the role that you've given us. And God, that you'd help the wives, that they would fill the role that you've given them. And Lord, that you'd help the children Lord, that you'd guard their hearts and protect them. And God, that you'd help us as parents to train them. And God, we can see them grow to love you also. And God, I pray that you'd help us with those around us, our neighbors. God, that we would truly love them. As we read in the Bible of the Good Samaritan, how he loved his neighbor. God, may we too be willing to help, to sacrifice, to give. And God, that we can have a right relationship with other people as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with me, please? The piano's going to play. If God spoke to you about something today, maybe you're not, not as spiritually healthy as you should be, and you'd say, God, today I'm committing to you these relationships. Would you just do that? You can come to the front if you want, Neil. You can uh, stay at your seat if you'd like as well. But today, if God's spoken to you about a relationship that you need to improve, would you ask God to help you do that this morning?